This is Aliveness. I'm your host, Allison Crossweight, a guide and former psychotherapist here to empower you to break out of your old patterns, shift into a new state of being, and ignite your aliveness. I'm so excited for this conversation today. Uh, with me here on the Aliveness Podcast is Allison James. She is a registered psychotherapist, a colleague, former client, friend, and all around someone who I could listen to for for days. Uh, and so I'm so excited to um, to talk with her about all the things we're going to flow today. Um, but welcome, Allison. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to yeah. be here with you. Yeah, it's, I'm really excited too. We're recording on a summer Friday and it's got that summer Friday feel to it today. And one of the um, topics... Mm-hmm. At least I feel that um, one of the topics we're going to talk about today is uh, the wounded healer. And I was wondering yeah. what was on your mind right now in that area. Hmm. Well, it's interesting. I was thinking about this a little bit earlier today, and um, I'm actually just in a place of kind of coming out the other side of burnout. Mm. And I'm just reflecting on how it sneaks up on you how easy it is to all of a sudden find yourself there or it feels like that to me so often. I put so much work into avoiding it and um, and then all of a sudden <laughs> it's like, here it is. I'm back here again. Um, I took some time off this week and it really helped to kind of restore um, some capacity and some energy. But then it's always so interesting because on the other side of burnout, I start to feel my feelings again, all the things that I didn't have the space to feel. And for me, numbness is like a real sign of burnout. Um, and so I'm taking that as a good sign. And <laughs> that's right. where you're finding me today. Yeah. Yeah. So that's yeah, what's been on my mind most recently. What about and you? like, even that statement... I mean, I'll, I'll, I can share as well, but even that statement of like being on the other side of burnout is quite a vulnerable thing for a healthcare practitioner, a therapist to share. Yeah, I guess it is. And it's so common, right? It's so, so, so common in the helping professions to encounter this um, with some regularity. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think like, our clients need, I mean, I'm not a therapist anymore, to be very clear, but um, especially as a psychotherapist, but in general, our clients need to feel a kind of stability. And yeah, they need to feel a humanity. And I wonder, like, how do you, any thoughts on how you navigate that? Because I think it's like very much an art. Wow, it's such a good question. Because I agree with you. Um that our clients need both of those things from us. And I think probably something that contributes to burnout is that we do, or we can um, put so much of ourselves aside in order to show up in that really steady, consistent, reliable way for our clients. It's also really important, I think, to, to show them that we're all just figuring it out. None of us are healed completely, mm-hmm. have the answers to all of the mm-hmm. hardest questions of how to be human. And I think sometimes it's okay to show up as we are, to show up tired, to show up hurting. And I can trust in my ability to even to hold space from that place. Um I think I've done some really great work when I'm actually not okay. And in some ways that makes us like more porous, more sensitive, like more empathic um, because we're so keenly aware of what it's like to, to feel something. Um, Totally. Yeah. So I think it's more of like an energy, right? Because at least in therapy and I think in a lot of the work you do, we have to be so mindful about, you know, the safe and effective use of self and how much of ourselves we bring in, how much we disclose, making sure that's, you know, a benefit to the client. And sometimes 
Yeah. Sometimes it helps to say, you know, I'm tired or sometimes you just give yourself permission to be tired and see if you can tend to yourself from that place while also being with somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. And I really agree with you that, um, my best work is definitely done when I'm hurting, tired, stressed. Um, like I'm very suspicious of the, I'm a great therapist. I'm going to go in and do my job position that, you know, it's okay to think we're good at what we do. It's okay. But, but it's like, if I'm too much in that role, I'm less human. And like, I think porous is a really good word. Um, And like, I can think of one, oh my gosh, one therapy day I did, um, I found out I miscarried and then I saw seven clients and I'll never forget that day because I thought I could not (sighs) do this. And yet, I mean, every session was exquisite in the openings and how understood they felt and, you know, yeah. And I don't think yeah. we always have it's to do funny. that. I don't think we always have to do that. I think, you know, today I would have canceled it. I've, I've grown. Yeah. But, but, you know, it's a good example. It is a good example. And I think about, you know, all the times I worked as my marriage was falling apart when I was in the process of moving out of my home, of trying to find my feet again. Um. And so often, and I would, I would have this conversation with my supervisor where I said, you know, is it, is it okay for me to work, um, to hold space for others when I am just falling apart, when I am not okay? Mm-hmm. And the question was like, are you okay enough? You know, um, can you hold yourself enough to be able to hold somebody else? And I was surprised. I was surprised um, at at the quality of the, of the work that I was able to do in that place. And it's not to say it was perfect. There were definitely a couple of days that I, you know, in retrospect, I was like, okay, not your best work that day. And maybe it was a bit too much, but for the most part, and I don't know if I've ever like, yeah, felt so deeply for my clients, especially ones that were going through similar things. Right. It's like really a feeling of I'm in it with you. And And I think it's so important too to like, I don't know, disrupt this like idea that we have to be all together, perfect, yeah, whole, complete, healed, you know, evolved, enlightened, yes, in order to do this. Um, that's a high standard. That's an impossible standard. It's impossible, right? We're humans. And it's, it, it, that's how bad things happen is when we think we've evolved past something. Yeah. No. I agree. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I think that's where we can see some really problematic kind of expressions of power and power imbalances. Exactly. Right. That's how we can come into the session saying, I know better than you. I figured this out. The way that it was for me is the way that it's going to be for you. That's right. I don't want to be that kind of practitioner. No, no. I would rather be vulnerable. Yes, yes. And so it it makes me think too, like, this is not black and white either, because I imagine someone could be listening to this and going like, I don't want my therapist to be falling apart. And I think like, I think of sometimes, and this is generalization, but sometimes when I've worked with younger people, like 19, 20, 21, and I can, like, I'm not bringing the same type of relationality. I'm, I'm not bringing a, I know better, but I am bringing a kind of grounded, older perspective that they can, they can ground through and, and learn through. So it, it is different depending on the person and the circumstance. Like every way that we negotiate this is, is completely unique. Oh, I totally agree. Sometimes, um, you know, I'll have like younger clinicians ask me questions about, about the work. I just recently became a supervisor and I imagine I'm very annoying because most of the time I'm saying it depends, it depends, (laughs) right? You know, like over and over again, like, let's look Mm -hmm. at it. 
because some clients really don't respond well to disclosure. Some really need it to feel connected. That's right. And, and, and my relationship with every client is unique. Just like my relationship with every person in my life is unique, right? Like right. we bring out different elements in each other, different parts, different aspects, depending on that particular dyad, that particular field. And I think that's like part of the art that you were talking about earlier is knowing what's appropriate in this particular moment with this particular person, with what you're holding, with what they're bringing. Yes. Yes. I mean, it's wild because it's like, it's the impossible job really, because like, how can you know what's best for the client? You try. And then of course, sometimes we get it so-called wrong, but if we have a good enough relationship, we can work it out, which is even more valuable. I remember one of my supervisors used to say, oh, don't worry about making mistakes. You'll make mistakes. Like you'll make enough (laughs) mistakes to to benefit the client. And I sort of thought, okay, fine. You know, I'm going to make this benefit the client. It's true. And you never really know what the mistake is that's going to be the thing. Like it might be something that I really don't want to do. Like I don't like to be late or cancel, right? But other mistakes, like, um, you know, something they find out about your personal life that you didn't mean for them to find out or, you know, a misattunement um, can blow things up in a huge way. So it's this idea of mistakes is really amazing. Oh, I totally agree and resonate with that. And that's something I'm really grateful for um, in in my training, which was like primarily relational, was the normalization of that and the encouragement to actually embrace that, mm-hmm. to try not to avoid that, mm-hmm. to just know how to show up in the midst of that and to understand the value. And for so many people, you know, that's where they can have a corrective experience of conflict. Um, something that, you know, they, they maybe haven't experienced before when they've expressed hurt or disappointment. And it is, one of my mentors used to say, just grist for the mill, right? Yes. Like just grist mm-hmm. for the mill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And hopefully, as you said, the quality of the relationship is such that you can, that you can use that to hang in with each other. Right. And I know that for me, some of, you know, some of the ruptures I've had with clients have been obviously like really challenging. It's not something that we like seek out. And um, those moments of repair have held so much potential, Um, so much medicine, actually. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Like it almost is the medicine in a sense. Um, I feel like. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I remember I think so. Like my very first long therapy. I uh, went to my first session and I forgot to pay her and she forgot to ask. And I had so much shame that I almost didn't come back. And it was her catching my shame and and like being intuitive enough without knowing me at all to see that this particular thing I felt so ashamed of, which a lot of people wouldn't, and I wouldn't today feel ashamed about that thing, but it was a trigger for me and she caught the particularity of it and named it. And like, we were off to the races. Like no one had ever been that compassionate to me before. Like she owned it as hers. Like, Oh, I'm crying thinking of it. Yeah. But it, it, she owned it. And I, I, she didn't blame me. I thought I was going to be in trouble. I mean, I've grown a lot, right? But it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That is such a touching kind of story. And I think of so many moments in my therapeutic kind of journey as a client that um, are similar to that. And that piece that you said, like it's half hers. I think that's the spirit, right? Like we're in this together. We're creating this together. My stuff is here. Your stuff is here. Let's see how that interacts without judgment, without blame, 
without attack, without defensiveness. And so much is possible from that place. And I think the other thing that you said that really stood out to me is, you know, a big part of what we what we do as space holders is just pay such close attention, you know? And when I think about my capacity to work in times of difficulty, that's something I think about. Can I pay close attention? Right. Because so often it is that just, can I notice? Can I notice and say, what happened there? How did you feel when I said that? Mm -hmm. I noticed, you know, an expression across your face. And I'm wondering about that. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And I think that that stands. Like we kind of get used to it, but mm. I think that stance is revolutionary when you come from a family where you're not seen and that the parents are not able to actually see you and definitely not take um, ownership of their own. I mean, I was of their own part in it. I was so scared because I had no lived experience of somebody not blaming me. So I was like, what? Yeah. It's partly yours? What is it? <laughs> and you noticed me? Like, and this is just like, it sounds so simple and basic, but this is one of the things I miss actually about therapy is the, how how rich the frame is. Like, it's just like, we meet, it begins, it ends, there's schedule, there's money, there's Kleenex if we're in person. Like it's so basic, but it's like so rich. It's all contained right in there. Yeah, it is. It is. And I can really relate to that too. You know, like my, um, my longest therapist, she just retired. We talked a little bit about this actually. You saw me through mm. some of this after 13 years of working together. And, um, man, the grief of that, but, you know, upon reflection, I realized how much kind of reparenting she did, how many of my attachment wounds were worked on through that steady accompaniment, through that container. Yes. And we had some really tough moments between us, really tough moments. Um, And we both hung in and I experienced from somebody that was older, somebody that I looked up to, somebody that, you know, that did have some, some level, like there was a power imbalance, such a different model for engagement. And similar to you, like something I had actually never felt before in real time. And I might've like known theoretically that it existed, but to really feel it, to really experience it, to say, huh, it can be this way. It can be this way. That's right. And there were so many times in that relationship where I was like, okay, I'm out. This is too uncomfortable. This is too difficult. Um, But something kept me and I'm so glad that I stayed um, because those moments, those really difficult moments that sometimes took us, you know, weeks to come back from months um, that we talked about even in our final sessions, right, were the greatest opportunities for growth. Where I saw, oh, this is how you can, you can adult. This is how you can do conflict. This is how you can apologize. This is how you can also, you know, be empathic and not take on what's not yours. It was so, um, so profound. Right. And as you say, like in some ways, so basic, but so profound, actually. So profound. And as you're talking, I'm like, this is the case for long term therapy. <laughs> like, yeah. this is what? what it can do. And we're so into this. Like, I don't want to feel bad anymore. I want quick fixes. And we'll talk about psychedelics in a second. But it's like, there is no replacement. And Um, Kim and I, my therapist, my original one, we spent seven years together pretty much every week for seven years. And then her cancer metastasized and she had to close her clinic, her practice within um, two weeks. And she died about 18 months later. And when she died, she um, left a note that I was to go to her office and um, take any books that I wanted because she knew I had started studying to be a therapist. 
I actually saw my first client the week before she got her diagnosis. So it was like this wild transition. And, you know, like, I'm telling this story for many reasons, but there's a couple pieces that I think they think are really good because I was shocked that she remembered me. Mm. And mm. I think that it, clients often are. And in retrospect, I can see that seven years uh, going from like completely insecure to studying to be a therapist, not that that means you're secure, but, but like there was a huge arc and we worked so hard and there was so much between us. Of course, she remembers me. Like, of course I'm in her heart because my clients are so in my heart. And I don't think I want to say this because I don't think clients always realize how much we love them in all the complexities of that. Oh, yeah. I feel so moved by that. And I'm so glad that you, uh, yeah, that you said that out loud. And that's the truth. I think in order to be good therapists or space holders, we have to let our clients matter to us. Right? Yeah. We have to. We have, we have to. to. And um, oftentimes that's, you know, that's not hard because they're all so lovable. They really are. And um, they really are. And just like we are, right? Yeah. And um, sometimes it's actually even appropriate to share that, right? Like to share that love, um, to name that love because it's there. And sometimes that's confusing for people because of the frame, right? Yeah. Because there is an element of transaction. There is an element of rigidity around the way in which our relationship can exist. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't make it less real. Yeah. And I know when I was leaving my therapist, um, yeah, we exchanged, you know, those words. We shared the fact that we really, over those 13 years, every week, developed a really deep love for one another. And um, yeah, she similarly gave me one of her favorite paintings from her office that she had gotten early in her career that made her think of me. And um, yeah, it's hanging in my house. And in moments when I miss her, which are frequent, it's there. And I think, you know, we've come such a long way from that kind of psychoanalytic model of the therapist as a blank slate that doesn't feel, that doesn't get attached, that doesn't become protective um, or overly invested. And I think while it's important to keep an eye on that, like the love is so much of what heals. So much. The authenticity too, right? The humanity, the shared humanity. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really glad we're so doing it's a, this. It's a... Like mm-hmm, I miss I, I miss I miss I miss talking about therapy in this way. And while I don't work in the same way anymore, all of this is like in my bones. And it feels really good to like talk about it and make it explicit. Because this is different. This is different from um, like a process someone has to follow or structure or results. This is about two people having a conversation and no, like there's no two other humans in the planet having that conversation in that way. And it's so beautiful. Yeah, it is. It is. And there's space for so many different kinds of approaches, you know, and, and I think, you know, what you said earlier was right especially if there's been relational wounding, there's a lot of value in that long-term walking alongside somebody. And sometimes people feel shame about that, right? Feel like not only that they want relief from suffering immediately, but also I'm still in therapy. I still need this. Right. You know? And, And sometimes I like to reframe that and to say like, who knows about need, but what if it, what if it helps? Yeah. What if it's a support, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm still in therapy every week. Yeah. I was and just going to really say, I'm still in therapy when... every week. 
Yeah. Yep. Yep. And I'm a better person for it. I'm a better clinician for it. Right. Absolutely. Even just to remember what it's like to come and feel vulnerable. What it's like to be on the other side. Right. Like, absolutely. Gosh. And, you know, I have, you know, I've heard teachers and mentors, like there's different people, but my weekly therapy is a touchstone. I actually have them in a couple hours and it's like, it is a touchstone and it's really the, the ongoingness, like it takes time with, we're now at three years, him and I, and it takes time to get to the material. There were, there were so many weeks where I was like, you know, I think I'm fine. Like, I don't need this anymore. I don't need this anymore. And I would go and I was like, I think I'm going for him. Like, I actually do think I'm going for him. That's not good. And like, there would be all of this. But then, you know, a few months ago, we just got to the bottom and he's holding this space. And I'm like, I am so grateful for this man who is holding this space for me in this incredible way. And Oh, that's so, that's so beautiful. And I agree. It does. It does take time. It does take time. And those ebbs and flows, they make sense. And of course, we don't want to encourage like dependency or make folks feel that they need to stay if they don't, and it's okay to come and and all the things, right? Like, and I'm sure that when you were practicing, and and I do this all the time, is check in, right, with like my long-term clients and say, how are we doing? Is this still feeling good? But I think to just normalize um, this part of it, that we're also doing attachment work. Because sometimes we need a long time or can benefit from a long time. That ongoing touchstone, you know, a reliable, safe place to bring all of ourselves and to be held, to be witnessed. That's right. It's, It's a kind of magic, right? It is a kind of magic. It is. Wow. Okay. So let's, let's talk about psychedelics a little bit because it's been getting in the therapeutic world so much attention. And you know that I stepped away from my license to, to work with mushroom and toad medicine and have really grappled in the past couple of years with how to be not a therapist, but bring the attachment, the trauma, the existential phenomenology, like all the pieces we're talking about that are so precious to a practice Mm -hmm. that that supports people in doing this. Um, and I've learned so much. Oh my God. <laughs> and you've watched me learn. Um, where are you at? What are you thinking? Like, are you, what are you seeing? Are you seeing clients come in talking about psychedelics? What are your views? I know it's a big question, but what's alive for you in this area? It's funny. I have some news to share with you. Um, I just found out last, but I know. Um, but I was just accepted into the Mishner Institute's program for foundational kind of psychedelic psychotherapy. Um, and it's like a, a United Health Network program. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to start in September. Oh, amazing. Um, yeah, I'm excited. And I'm, you know, I'm drawn to it because I really feel like there's so much potential here. Um, all of the the data we have, both kind of scientific rigorous data, but also like, you know, um, anecdotal information, not to mention, you know, the millennia that these medicines have been used, mm-hmm. um, right? All points to tremendous potential. And I'm excited to see um, a return of these medicines to the collective conscious. And I'm heartened to be working with psychiatrists at CAMH who also see the potential in this, the need for this. And I'm grateful that there's people like you um, offering this now to folks that need it presently. I am really truly fascinated in so many different ways um, from like the neurobiological to kind of the spiritual, because I think psychedelics hold a lot of potential um, to address spiritual wounds Mm -hmm. that are often inherent to, um, you know, mental health diagnoses or um, symptoms 
that a lot of practitioners aren't actually trained or qualified or ready to, to, to work with, or even would name as such. So yeah, I'm, I'm thinking we're going to see a big shift in the field and a big shift potentially in collective conscious as a result of these medicines becoming more accessible. Yeah, I agree. I, so I have a question that I'm grappling with. I, I'd like to know what you think on this because I mean, there's, it seems clear, clear that what you're saying is, is correct. Um, and when I think of what people come to therapy for and how much psychedelics can help them. And, and honestly, I think microdosing, like look, just starting with the basics of microdosing, if every person in therapy who felt drawn had that opportunity and had a, a qualified person supporting them, I think it'd be life-changing for them. Then on the other mm-hmm. hand, there's some bigger questions that are interesting to watch. And I've made a choice in my career to step out of the licensure. So, you know, nobody's going to like, like there's a definite difference between the underground and the above ground and I'm underground. And um, I see all kinds of things happening. Like for example, the ketamine clinics, they had a certain model for how they were going to do it and it wasn't cheap. um, But given the results, it looked like a viable business model. Turns out it wasn't. Um, and bunches of them have closed. And we've seen this as well with some of the larger psychedelic training programs, like Synthesis Institute, for example. They have a, I think it's a $20,000 training, and they went bankrupt. And um, and they were one of the most reputable, you know, most well-known. And, and so from my seat, as I sit and watch this, and as I live the life of a really a medicine woman, like someone who, like, as my mentor says, the medicine is my co-pilot. Like, I don't get to just like make a business plan and execute it. It does not work this way. Like it, there is a deeper structure to it all. And I serve and I have to surrender. And I cannot imagine from my seat, having spent, you know, my most of my adult life working on myself and learning and growing and praying and like all these things I can't imagine running a company that actually has some kind of scaled model for facilitation, like the energy that the medicine would send up to the top would like have me in bed all day long, which I know doesn't maybe sound, it doesn't make uh, sense, but I think it's more like shadow. Like the way that medicine works is it brings out shadow. And I think you can probably relate to this. So it's like a constant showing you the difference between me and me embodying my intention is a whole bunch of stuff that I can't see right now. And there's a reason yeah. I can't see it because, because I don't want to see, I'm not able, like I do, it doesn't fit with my worldview. So the, the path from me to my intention, it goes like this. And yeah. so I'm very interested to see like, how, how is this going to work at a structural level when I don't know if the medicine likes the structures of our conscious, of our collective society. And, and I definitely don't think that a lot of the people, like you've got people running psychedelic departments at universities who've never even worked with a psychedelic. So I definitely don't think the medicine likes a lot of this. So I'm fascinated. So pick up any of those threads, but what, from your perspective, what do you see? Yeah, it's interesting. I agree. Um, that there's so much shadow usually between, you know, where we are now and where we want to go. And oftentimes parts of us need to die in order for us to step into our next kind of evolutions. Mm-hmm. And I think we need a lot of containment around that, a lot of preparation for that, a lot of space for integration of that. Also, I really believe in the value of community in that. And um, walking alongside other people who have chosen kind of that particular path. And I'm not sure what models are going to support all of that, truthfully. Yeah. And part of what I asked in my interview was kind of like to this program was what are the practical applications of this, right? And really no one knows. 
No one knows. And I think so much of it depends um, on political kind of whim. Um, but also, I think you're pointing to something true, which is that this might be a hard thing to to structure um, with any kind of rigidity. But then how do you begin to think about delivery? Um so I'm actually not sure, you know, like, I don't know how this will look in my practice. Mm-hmm. If I will be supporting people with the preparation and integration piece. Um, I also agree that I think people administering psychedelic experiences ought to have some experience themselves. Um, or at least adjacent experiences with, with breath work or, right. Um, yeah, it's a really good question. And and when I look into the future, I'm like, it's it's really hazy. I have a feeling that a wave is like building, a wave is coming. Mm-hmm. It's more and more present. My clients are talking about it. They're asking about it. I'm hearing about it. More mm-hmm. programs like this are popping up. Clinics are being opened, but they're also being closed. I don't know. I don't know. I mean... I feel like that's like the answer. That's the honest answer. It's really interesting to watch. It's really interesting. Yeah, it is. And I think if I needed, you know, if I needed this training to do something specific, I, I probably wouldn't take it because I don't know and no one does what's actually coming here, Mm -hmm. if it will work. But I think you said something really interesting that's kind of like um, hanging around for me, which is thinking about the medicine and how it would like to be used. Mm. And that seems like a good question to ask. And I think maybe, you know, paying a lot of attention to how it's been used traditionally. Yeah. Wondering how we can be in right relationship with that legacy, with those yeah. um, those rituals, that land, the kind of original and ongoing keepers of of these um, of these ceremonies, of these ways of knowing or being with ourselves or healing or transforming, seems seems important seems like a place to maybe start. And and I I think that that's the crux of it is the medicine really asks people me and I know I'm not alone because I talked to my colleague to listen rather mm-hmm. than push. And so mm-hmm. it's like yeah, like how has it been used and also how is it expressing itself through us? And this could sound absolutely insane until we have a relationship and then we know what that means. And we're so used to going, oh, I've got this great thing. I'm going to build this program. I'm going to do this thing. And then I'm going to build this clinic. And, And we're so used to using the world, which is part of the problem that we've got ourselves into, as opposed to living in it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I got to say personally, going back to the wounded healer, the medicine is lovingly smacking me over the head and saying, <laughs> live in the world. These are the lessons of, of these medicines. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that that is a really good, that is a really good point because it's not only kind of looking backward, which I think is really important and looking at how it's still kind of functioning right now. Um, But it is asking that question of like, what is required in this place, in this time? How do we be in right relationship with all of this in mind? I do wonder about, you know, the, the medicalization and the Westernization of these, of these medicines, of these experiences. I think on the one hand, there's just like such tremendous potential and I'm glad to see people are trying. Absolutely. And I think we might have some false starts, right? We might, 
we might, because we don't, we actually haven't done this. We haven't done this yet. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, as somebody, you know, I mean, in my Empower program, you know, I'm holding space for three or four people who are doing a ceremony a month for three months. And just having that experience of holding space for that and watching yeah. the waves, I'm like, I don't know. Like, I literally don't know how this is going to go down. And I don't mean it's going to go down badly, but this is a lot of energy we're opening up and no two people would get the same experience. And the people often say, what's it like to facilitate? And I say, the hardest thing is having zero control. I have no idea what's going to happen. I don't know what's happening for people. I just have to trust the medicine. And that, that's taken me a lifetime to be able to just sit there and literally do nothing. Like the hardest part is that I do nothing. The minute I get an idea, hey, why don't you? No, no. Terrible idea. <laughs> so it's very, it turns a lot of things on its head. It's, I'm fascinated to see where all this is going to go. Yeah, me too. Me too. What you were saying, it, it reminded me though of so much of what we talk about, what we were talking about when it comes to therapy as well, right? It's just like so much of it is just showing up, totally. being with. Totally. I don't know what's coming in. I don't yeah. know what's happened that week or that month, right? And so it's like doing nothing, but with a really particular kind of intention and presence and capacity, That's right. That's you know? Right. Totally. Yeah. And also something I've seen from the outside with you, you know, as your friend, as you've moved through this is how, how adaptable you've had to be. And I've, you know, really admired kind of like all the tweaks, all the shifts and how much of a practice that's been for you. And I think that that's really vital. And I'm not sure how that can be introduced into like hospital settings or clinic settings or right. Like, the freedom yeah. that you have to continue to adjust based on what you learn. Yeah. I mean, sure, that will happen too um, in medicalized settings, and the bureaucracy of that is going to take more time. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be really, really mm-hmm. interesting. So, Allison, yeah. Um, the process. Yeah. Is there anything like. Yeah that you'd like to talk about before we finish today? Like there's so much we could say, but I wonder if there's anything bubbling that you'd like to do. I don't think so. Nothing in particular. Okay. What about for you? Um, you know what? I think I'm going to raise one piece just, just because it's something you and I've talked about a bit and people talk about it a lot. I think it might be valuable. Um, let's just talk a little bit about attachment style. Mm-hmm. And um, part of why I bring this up is I, I a lot of my clients are coaches and coaches don't really get taught attachment style. But I think that understanding or at least navigating attachment in some way is so foundational to being a practitioner. Um, mm-hmm. And I know when I started, I thought everyone was going to be like me, which is way more on the anxious side generally. And then I discovered that, like, there's avoidant clients, right? And I would take yeah. it personally um, when people didn't um, didn't engage with the therapy in the same way that I might. And then coming to really understand in my body the different ways we show what's important to us. And then starting to understand that in all human relationships. You know, it's... It, it, you know, in, in love and friendship, like we show what's important in such different colors and different ways. So I think this is a really important conversation for human relating. And I know it's something you think about. So, um, I wanted to raise that. What are you thinking about these days with attachment? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm always thinking about attachment. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like so often. Um, but I really loved what you said, like how, to think about it as a way that we show what's important to us. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it also shows what we're afraid of and right. how we know, right? Like what we're afraid of in relationship is kind of um, often made clear 
by how we attack. And, um, you know, where, where our wounds are around relating, I think our desire is for connection, right? Like the ways in which we're striving mm-hmm. to feel safe in connection. Um, and it's been a really long journey for me. I, as somebody who probably really resonates mostly with them, disorganized attachment in the past, mm-hmm. really going back and forth. When someone's anxious with me, I become avoidant. If somebody's avoidant, I become anxious, you know? Um, and I've really had to work hard to have moments where I feel secure. And I've done that mostly really through my therapeutic relationship, the one that I was mentioning earlier of 13 years. That really was one of the first secure attachments that I ever had. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also with my very best friend who mm-hmm. I've been in relationship with for almost 20 years. Mm-hmm. I you know, this is a, this feels like a vulnerable thing to say, but I think at this stage in my life, I'm not sure that I've experienced secure attachment in a romantic relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something that I really hope to experience. But my focus right now is how secure is my attachment with myself? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how can I anchor into that? And spirituality actually has been a big part of that for me. Um, in addition to the parts work and the EMDR and all the rest of it and, and practicing in places that feel mm-hmm. safe. Um, boy, oh boy, like, does it feel excruciating to practice new ways of relating to take those risks, right? Because our attachment systems are protected. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay. So I'll say something a little bit vulnerable. I went on, I've recently gone on two dates with someone who has said they would do something and do it about 10 times and never not done what they said they were going to do. Um, and it's so dysregulating for me that the consistency consistency is I never had that kind of consistency and put that together with not texting all the time, just like see you Friday at eight. And then he appears Friday. There he is. I'm texting all the time, like, how's your day? Blah, blah, blah. Just like, here I am. And so, and what I notice in myself is this um, I'm like constantly finding ways to make this very disorganized and disrupt it. Like, everything I go to say is very unstable. And I, I hold myself like I'm growing, but it's really interesting because when someone else is unstable, I'm like, come on, be secure. But it, to actually mm-hmm. be secure is so, it, we really, like it's work. It's work for the nervous system. So I love, I love what you're saying. It is work for the nervous system. I, I've had some relational experiences romantically that have begun to approach secure. It makes me feel like I'm heading in the right direction, to be honest. Right. Right. And I can really relate to what you're saying because it's unfamiliar and our nervous systems don't like what's unfamiliar. That's and right. We want to just organize it based mm-hmm. on our previous experience so that we know what's going on. That's and right. we've already developed mechanisms to deal with that outcome. Yeah. But this new thing, right? This new thing, what is this thing? I don't know about this. And for me, the question that comes up too is like, can I trust this? Can I trust this? Can I trust this? And of course we don't know, you know, until we know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it did strike me recently that this is kind of good work to be doing. Like, I'm glad to be at this stage where my work is expanding mm-hmm. my nervous system tolerance to accept and reciprocate secure attachment. Whereas yeah. before... You know, I was just so in those disorganized patterns. I couldn't even see them. I couldn't begin to even think about how, and it's, this is, you know, over a decade of work to get to this point and still very uncomfortable, you know, very Very. uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, that consistency, it's like, it must be, it must be so lovely, um, 
so sexy, so dysregulating, right? And I mean, yeah, unfamiliar, uncharted. Yeah, totally. Yeah. What do I do with this? I know. I'm like, what do I do with my energy if it's not managing that? Right? It's so interesting. Right. And I want to bring in the medicine a little bit because I got some clear messages from the medicine this week around, um, and the way this happens for me is, you know, it just, it's, it's a kind of frequency that I know, I know the voice and I know it in my body from the number of hours I've spent with the medicine, just so that to give people a sense of what it feels like. And the medicine was basically saying, we were trying to develop a secure attachment with you. And I thought that was really beautiful because it's true. Sometimes I'm trusting and sometimes I'm out there going, I can't do this. What am I going to do? And I forget that I did not do this. I did not plan this. I did not want it. I like you, this has happened, this work in the world, and it will continue to happen. And I can relax into that secure attachment. So I wanted to bring that in too, because I, I do think that our fundamental relationship to life itself and to ourselves, like you said, and to spirit is all, it's all in this. Yes, that's a really interesting idea about um, forming a secure attachment with the medicine. And you know what I know about, about, um, about the earth medicines is that you know, because of the, the neuroplasticity that is promoted, but also um, the opportunity to feel things on an embodied level, that it can be huge in repatterning attachment styles right? and more, um, yeah, rigid responses. And uh, yeah, I liked what you said there too. Like, and it, it, I'm trying to think about how to articulate this, but you know, it's this, it's this art of like, how can I remain open to being surprised mm-hmm. to understand that life is going to take me in directions that I never could have imagined that I actually wouldn't have chosen um, and remain in a place of trust with life and also like with myself and with spirit. And I think, as you said, all of these things are just so connected. I don't know that we do one without the other. Yeah. Um, a wild ride. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> well, Allison, thank you yeah. so much. This is, I mean, I knew it was going to be a rich conversation. This is so rich. And I know that people who listen to the podcast are going to find this really, really fascinating because therapy is something that many, many people find fascinating. Um, so I'm so grateful and I'm so grateful to know you. I love, I love our, our interweaving lives. So thank you. Same. Yeah, I feel so grateful to have been here and to be able to explore some of these things with you. And yeah, what a wonderful thing that uh, life brought us together and continues to. If this resonates with you, be sure to subscribe so you get all the juicy episodes to come. And if you have a friend who is deep into their personal growth and healing journey, share this podcast with them too. Now go out and experience the aliveness that's here for you today.